Before we start the show, I need your help. World Builder Blog, that's my blog, has been nominated for an Any Award, and the voting starts today. That's July 11th. Please go to any-awards.com and vote not just for World Builder Blog, if you love the blog, or one of the other awesome blogs. I The competition is stiff, so go vote for somebody, and then also vote for the rest of the awards. There are a ton of great RPG products, and this is a big award that people get a lot of recognition from. You only have until July 21st, so go and vote. It'll take five minutes, and you'll be doing the RPG industry a huge favor. And hey, if you're going to Gen Con, Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I will all be there. If you want to see us, we're going to be doing a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday of Gen Con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom D. We're going to be joined by fan favorite panelists Liz Tice, Dan Dillon, and Sean Merwin. It's going to be totally free, so get your tickets now. After the panel, join us at Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Indianapolis near the convention center at 7 p.m. for drinks, food, and games. Then I've got a movie. That's right, I'm a filmmaker. It's a movie I wrote, directed, and produced with my partner Jay Lechko, and it's premiering at Gen Con. Nightbirds, that's night with a K, is a six-minute-long short film that's a superhero comedy. It's part of the superhero block on 7 p.m. August 6th, the Saturday at Gen Con. That's also totally free, so check it out and go support my movie, Nightbirds. That's night with a K. Finally, I have the honor of leading a panel at Gen Con. I will be moderating the Digital Future of D&D 5th Edition at 2 on the Saturday of Gen Con in Crown Plaza Grand Central Ballroom C. The SRD is shaking up the landscape for D&D digital tools. Which tools will make an impact? What's on the horizon? Leading companies share their visions and answer your questions. Get your free tickets to this event now. There's going to be all kinds of great people there. Drive Through RPG, Sirenscape, Lone Wolf Development, Mesa Mundi, Smiteworks, and yours truly will all be there at this panel. It's going to be super, super informative. Please go check it out. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Injercasso. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go give us a great rating on iTunes. It takes 30 seconds and it is a huge help to us. I read one new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Here are the words of Big Baby Dan with a review entitled Good Stuff, all the way from Canada. Big Baby Dan says, This podcast gets a variety of voices all talking around a great game. A lot of hard work and love go into this one, and it shows. Thank you so much for your five-star review, Big Baby Dan. You are the man, and I really, really appreciate your review. We need more reviews, so please head on over to iTunes and give The Tome Show a great review. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. 
just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is Magic the Gathering Volume 1. This is a comic book from IDW Publishing. It's a couple bucks off at noblenight.com, and it tackles a story set in the world of Magic the Gathering. It is a pretty awesome collection of comics, and you can get it for $15.95 at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for The Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers. Use a Noble Knight. To sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com. The brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them The Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. Today, we're talking about the latest D&D movie announcements and the new free D&D supplement that brings D&D rules into Magic the Gathering's world of Innistrad. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What movie should the D&D movie feel like? Rudy Basso, welcome back to the roundtable. Hey, thanks. You know, I'm a sucker for a heist movie, and I like the light-hearted heist movies, and so I think, you know, with magic in the mix, you can do a lot of crazy things. So a Dungeons and Dragons, Ocean's Eleven. I don't know if it's the, the movie we need, but it's the movie I would like to see. If there's some sort of crazy break into a bank using magic or whatever and steal the money. I think that'd be really, really neat. So. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Some sort of heist movie, I think, would be representative of a lot of D&D games. So that sure. makes sense. And Ocean's Eleven is a super fun movie, too. So yeah, I like yeah. It's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great ensemble cast. And uh, <laughs> new to the roundtable today is Phil Collins. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, give the people out there some of your tabletop role playing game credentials. When did you start playing things like that? I started playing shortly after I was born. <laughs> seems like uh, so it's been like almost forty years of playing. Wow. So so I'm 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 a, I'm an old old school gamer. <laughs> uh, uh, RPGA, uh, living, living city, living Greyhawk, living jungle. Uh, I run board games at Dragon Kind. Nice. I'm the real deal. Nice. You are the real deal. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us at the roundtable today. Uh, Not Phil, a problem. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course, of course. What movie should the D and D movie feel like? Uh, mine was Road to Perdition. Uh, it's a movie. Uh, you know, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was adapted from a, a, a comic book. It's a road movie. Uh, it seems like a, a, the, the main characters are on a quest. So, you know, that that's what came to my mind when I thought kind of modern, um, a, a quest movie. You know, it's, it's you know, they're going from one place to another. They have a goal. They have a quest. Yeah. That, that's, that was my thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. It is definitely a different feel, I feel like, than Ocean's Eleven. Uh, but both are great movies in their own right. And I would love to see a more serious take on something like this. And I would like, if, if, if we could see a D&D movie that felt like Road to Perdition, that would be awesome. 
That would be amazing. Hey, I you love get Tom that. Hanks. Oh, he's, awesome. he's you know, Maces and what is that movie? Maces and Monsters. Maces and Monsters. It would, so he's it would be familiar with the material. Full circle. Okay, not <laughs> that Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Cloud Atlas, Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> okay, maybe scratch Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Kane is with us at the round table. Uh, Andrew Kane, welcome back. What movie should the D&D movie feel like? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I'm going to go in a different direction than uh, the other two panelists so far, but keep the Brad Pitt connection alive. I'm going to go a little more mystery, psychological thriller style and say I'd love to see a D&D movie in the style of Seven. Whoa! In Whoa. the style of seven, uh, that is, I mean, we're, on, that, <laughs> we're on a negative slope, uh, slowly <laughs> going down towards uh, more and more darkness in our movies. Come on, uh, it's got, uh, you know, like the seven deadly sins, so it's got this kind of iconography and stuff in there. They're working it all out. I, t- I can see how it could play out in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Seven, again, is a great movie. And I think if we could come out of a D&D movie and feel that way, uh, I think there are a lot of games, just like there are a lot of games that are heists and a lot of games that are, you know, long quests on the road. Uh, there are a lot of games that are horror themed. So I think that is an awesome, awesome pick. Uh, I, that would be very kids. interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would not be good for kids. It would not be a kids movie <laughs> if that were the case. Um, and uh, and Alex Basso is back with us. Uh, Alex Basso, what movie should the D&D movie feel like? Oh, man. So I really wanted to say Fast and Furious, but then I realized I haven't actually seen one of those in like <laughs> seven years. Uh, not since Tokyo Drift. Um, so... I'm just going to go back way, way long ago to the movie that I think was good, and I remember it as being good, and I haven't watched in a long time, and say The Mummy. So I just want to, I just want a good adventure movie that involves going through tombs and finding dead people and liches and stuff. I don't know. I feel like that could be good D&D stuff. And Mummy has a good, you know, they're like an adventuring party, and totally could totally. be interesting but but another thing i just noticed is they're remaking the mummy for next year so maybe that's a bad idea <laughs> but i think i think that feel is kind of spot on and uh you know uh, uh, that idea of sort of over the top adventure i think um is is a good one for D&D as well. It's kind of great that we have four very different movies that have just been picked. Uh, and you could see a way all of them could work uh, for D&D. So uh, that is why I have proudly assembled this panel. Uh, because I wanted to talk to you guys about the latest D&D movie news. Um, So we are going to uh, talk a little bit about this news that uh, Ansel Elgort, uh, who is a young adult favorite, uh, who was in such movies as, and I'm going to ask my human IMDB, Andrew Kane, to fill in for me. He was in, he's in the Divergent movies, Mm -hmm. uh, the Divergent series. Smash hit uh, The Fault in Our Stars, a John Green adapted film. Um, also with uh, the girl who's in Divergent, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Shailene um, Woodley. Shailene Woodley. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't. I'm get sure that out. our listeners know her from Secret Life of the American Teenager. Of course, yes. And his breakout role was, of course, in the Carrie remake with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. So, right there, you have it, Ansel Elgort. 
There you go. There you go. Who is also a recording artist, uh, uh, I found out just before this podcast, thanks to Rudy. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but so yeah, so he is a, a big teen heartthrob. They are looking at him, uh, for playing, uh, the lead role in the D&D movie. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the movie, uh, has, the script has been doctored by David Leslie Johnson of The Conjuring 2 fame. Uh, and we have the director, Rob Letterman, who did Gulliver's Travels and Monsters vs. Aliens, signed on. Uh, so my question is, much like all of your different picks for a movie, it seems like Warner Brothers has listened to all of you and is trying to make it feel like all four of the movies that were mentioned. Um, there, there is kind of a lot well, that, of that works out well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, looking at this, uh, and certainly, like, you know, maybe this is going to be something very, very different. This is probably going to take place in the Forgotten Realms. That's what all the reports have said so far. Um, looking at this, thinking about Ansel Elgort. I want to know, what do you think about uh, him being cast as the lead in the Dungeons & Dragons movie? And what do you suspect they're going for with this movie based on all of the talent that uh, is in here? And why don't we start with you, Human IMDb, Andrew Kane? I am not sure what they're going for. It seems like a lot of different creative voices uh, on varying levels are going to have a hand in this, which is interesting because um, I think that could go either way. Um, but his casting in particular, it seems like maybe they're targeting teen demographic uh, and, you know, kind of a the kid, you know, a young adult, since that's kind of where his wheelhouse is right now. Not really sure what that means, though, for the movie, um, because the young adult type of audience he's been reacting to, I don't think is the traditional Dungeons and Dragons audience, but mm -hmm. maybe that's a good thing. And so they wanted a recognizable name for that demographic. Yeah, yeah, it could be a good thing, could help expand the D&D audience, uh, could be maybe for him a, a little bit of a different role for his career, which would maybe also be a, a good thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting to see him cast. Uh, you know, I don't think he is a like terrible actor or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so. Right. You know, uh, uh, that doesn't bother me, but it does make me think like, man, the, the more people who get involved, the more of a an eclectic soup this seems to become. Uh, Rudy Basso, what about you? What did you think about his casting and what do you think it means for the movie that all of these various talents are involved? I think he's got an awesome D&D &D name on his own, Ansel Elgort. That guy's <laughs> giving me a quest or something. <laughs> you know, I, I watch Goosebumps which also had an actor around the same age as him. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was fine. And I thought the director did a good job. I don't know if he worked with the actor to get a good performance out of him. So I'm, I'm fine with this. Like you said, he's in uh, fault in our stars. I think that was well-received both he and his co-star for their acting. So I, as long as he can act, I'm not that worried compared to the first Dungeons and Dragons movie where the, the lead actor was just, uh, terrible um 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to have to agree with Andrew. They must be skewing towards a younger audience with this. Unless, I don't know. There's just so many, I, I, I don't know. I, I think finding out one person isn't enough to really make a lot of assumptions out of. No, I... Sweet I, Justin Valen slam. <laughs> I... I think, you know, I think this idea that maybe they're going after a younger audience, uh, you could even think before Ansel was brought in because Rob Letterman has so much experience directing for younger audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does make you think that, but it's that, it's the combination of David Leslie Johnson, I think, that is really messing with my mind because he's so known for the horror that he writes um so but maybe he's a big D D fan and maybe that's why they brought him in you know which he would was be i mean great. he's the original writer yeah. he's the original writer uh although if you read some reports they're saying that he's been brought in to doctor the script um so uh so it so- is uh, unclear. It's unclear whether he had a script and they're using a different one and they brought him in to doctor it, or if he had one, it got passed off to somebody else and now it's back with him. Uh, it's kind of unclear what the reports on that are at the moment. I mean, if that's the case, then I could see I could see them bringing him in to kidify it, to work with the new lead actor. But yeah, you're right. He's not exactly kid-friendly. Yeah. Uh, Conjuring 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it it seems odd. Uh but you know, Rudy, you brought up the two thousand Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh and this is a great place to turn to Phil Collins. Uh Phil, uh before the podcast you shared with us that you didn't think the two thousand Dungeons and Dragons movie was all bad. Um It wasn't. It was not all bad. It was uh, not. Yeah, yeah. Had, Tell us okay. a little bit about that. Jeremy Irons. It's got Jeremy Irons in it. So Jeremy <laughs> Irons gives gravitas to anything. <laughs> okay. So it, you gave Jeremy Irons an opportunity to sit there and chew scenery. <laughs> Anytime you can get someone of Jeremy Irons stature to sit there and chew scenery for you, you have to run with it. Marlon Wayans wasn't bad. I mean, he was there for the comic relief and he brought it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I still I still use one of his lines all the time when I'm playing D and D. You know, <laughs> what line? So, uh, yeah, you're gonna get beat from the waist down. So you, you mess with happens, you get beat from the waist down. Something that to that nature. <laughs> so you know, he, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to be funny. Let's 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 not kid ourselves. This this movie was not this was not Shakespeare. This mm-hmm. was not you know, Citizen Kane, it wasn't supposed to be. I mean, we still laugh at the fact that they distracted the beholder with a, with a rock. So, <laughs> so let, let's not kid ourselves. It wasn't a great movie, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they should have, you know, just left it at that and never, never, ma- never made a sequel, never made any other subsequent movies, <laughs> but it was, it was funny. It, it, it wasn't great, but it was funny. And, and, and I like that. And I think that is something that, especially as those of us who play D and D, we we tend to forget. You know, this is supposed to be fun, mm-hmm. and as long as the movie comes out fun and it's kind of true to the 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 source material, I I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking at the guy that got you know that's that's allegedly attached to this film. I can't remember you know I can't remember his Caleb from uh, the Divergent series, <laughs> but uh, you know I, I'm looking at him on IMDb. He's tall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I kind of remember that. But, I mean, I don't, I don't recall him being... <laughs> I mean, if you were going to get somebody from, from the Divergent series to play in a D&D movie, why couldn't they try to get Miles Teller? 
<laughs> oh, wait, mm. Academy Award nominee, Miles Teller. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is that a D&D movie can really be a lot of things. As you guys showed at the beginning with the get to know you question, like D&D, you can really go anywhere with it. You could, you just need to be kind of in a medieval fantasy world and, you know, have some, maybe some specific iconic uh, D&D IP creatures or spells or whatever. But like, you could really do a lot of different stuff, which is one reason I, I think it's hard to make a movie because the field is so wide open. Um, and yet you still – there's a few things like you still want to kind of have an ensemble cast feel. You want to have a party of adventurers who get together. So uh, I, I do think it's it's interesting. I think you're right. Fun is a huge part of every D&D game uh, that, that is done well. Alex Basso, uh, what about you? What do you think of the, uh, the casting news of uh, – uh, Ansel Elgort. Yeah, I mean, I, I have. I, I don't think I've seen any movie he's been in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just going through this list, so I, I can't personally say anything about uh, if if he's going to be good or not. But I mean, you know, if he keeps getting jobs. I, I assume he has something going for him. Uh, that being said, I mean, I really since reading this, I'm now like absolutely, just expecting this movie to be you know your typical hero's journey with him playing. Uh, you know, the Luke Skywalker type role of a, a young, maybe just like a villager who doesn't know anything about the world of D&D and your entry point into this fantasy world. So, I mean, there's still, obviously, we need to wait to see who else is cast. You know, can't wait for when they announce the wacky bar Jack Black. But, you know, there, <laughs> there's probably going to be some, some old, uh, older character. This, you know... The, what you sent us, James, and mentioned Vin Diesel. Maybe Vin Diesel will be a mentor-like character, witch hunter character, yeah. crossing yeah, over from his failed movie. It, right, <laughs> it could just be a witch hunter sequel. Uh, so, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right, and and there's still a lot to go. There's still a lot of people to be cast in this movie. Yeah, uh, he isn't even, you know, Ansel Elgort isn't he's even officially ca- cast. He's just uh, reportedly in negotiations. So, as I've said before, I love talking about movies and the D&D movie is one that is near and dear to my hearts just like it is to many of our listeners hearts just like it is to many people on this panel's heart uh, so we will continue talking about this and we want to know what you think what do you think of Ansel Elgord what do you think the movie's going to be like what do you want the movie to be like let us know uh, at facebook.com slash the tome show or head on over to the tome show.com and tell us in the comments for this episode All right, gentlemen, I think it's time to move on to topic number two, Plane Shift Innistrad. Uh, So we saw Plane Shift Zendikar, uh, which brought Dungeons and Dragons and the world of Magic the Gathering together. Uh, Now we are seeing some rules for if you want to play D&D in Magic the Gathering's world of Innistrad. Uh, So we're going to talk about this uh, 40-page free supplement that we'll link over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com that was put out. Uh, It was written mainly by James Wyatt, who uh, covers a lot of the novels. He's one of the co-creators of 4th edition D&D. 
Andy. Innistrad, uh, from what I can tell, and I am not super duper familiar with the worlds of Magic the Gathering or the lore, but uh, from what I can tell, it's uh, pretty Raven Lofty, which makes sense. You know, Curse of Strahd is the storyline that was just released by Wizards of the Coast, uh, so it makes sense that they would take it to this land. There's a lot of pieces to this supplement. Uh, the first is kind of the best piece for players. It's all about a couple of different races you could play uh, within the world of Innistrad, um, and there is an Inquisitor background as well to go along with that stuff. Uh, then there's a large creature section, uh, much like in the Zendikar supplement. Um, they go over kind of a few different creature types. Uh, some have stat blocks. Uh, most just kind of have a description of this is how they should act, and this is what they would look like, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, how would your angels act, your devils, that kind of thing. Uh, after that, uh, they, uh, they have two other pretty cool little supplements that weren't really part of the Zendikar thing. One is, uh, about, uh, the coming of Emrakul. Emrakul is, uh, a fearsome titan and it kind of gives you this idea of how a campaign like a two-page description of how maybe a, a campaign would work and how madness would work with that and then uh and then there's a large section at the end about how to place the land of barovia into innistrad uh if you wanted to do that which is really really fun and cool um so anyway Looking over this, uh, uh, I'm wondering, what do you guys think of the supplement as a whole? Tons and tons and tons of story and flavor in here. Uh, a few crunchy bits, but but mostly delicious fluff. Uh, and why don't we start with you, uh, Phil. Phil, what did you think of this supplement? I, I was reluctant when I first heard about it because I, I used to play Magic, so I was not looking forward to bringing Magic into my D&D, but I looked at it and... Seems kind of cool. It's got a lot of nice fluffy bits, like you were just like you were just saying. Uh, it it looks like uh, it, it's like the Forgotten Realms meets meets Barovia, with not nearly as much overt magic. It, it, the magic is there, but it's not pervasive as as you know most of the stuff we've we've read from the Forgotten Realms. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it is a Magic the Gathering world, I like it. I think I think this is something that. Uh, I could play. I was the same way when the Zendikar supplement came out. I was a little like, hmm, are these things going to go together? Uh, but I think they did. And I think this one I like seeing even more because it is such a specific kind of feel they're going for in Innistrad. Um, yeah. So, uh, and and I, like I said, I'm not super familiar with the worlds of Magic the Gathering. I thought it was really interesting. If you look through the, the, the character types that you know, are in here, they just go out and say, yeah, we don't have a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, those are rare. Uh, in other words, yeah, you don't play those here. <laughs> That's not what this is for. And of course, you know, D&D players, we're, we're going to do what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, it just pretty much says, yeah, we don't have a lot of barbarians here. Uh, bards, extremely rare. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's kind of shuttling, you know, shuffling you down. A, a specific road they want you to play. I, I would be very interested in seeing any other material they have coming out on this. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it will be cool to see if they continue to support this idea. Um, you know, I, I think the last time we were on, uh, you know, I played Magic for a long time. Uh, I had no idea what the lore was when I was playing. Uh, so it, it is cool to uh, to see this coming out. Uh, Alex Basso, you also have some experience playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, what did you think of this supplement when you were checking yeah. it out? Yeah, I also, like you, played Magic, but... Also knew nothing about the war at <laughs> all. Uh, so this is, I mean, the world's pretty interesting. I, I like, like you said, it's very focused and I really like that. And it's just like a really depressing world. Um, you know, as humans, uh, they're the angels have basically gone mad and turned on them. And it's really just kind of left to uh, you know, the villagers to defend themselves. I, I like that. And I, I really like the inquisitor background. Um, the feature of legal authority is, I think, a fantastic feature and one that would I would love to play a character with just so I could uh, be like a corrupt witch hunter constantly uh, <laughs> burning people at the stake as, uh, as soon as they do something that's possibly devious or, you know, witchcraft related. <laughs> um, so I could see this as a fun short campaign to play if everybody just wants, uh, you know, maybe around like Halloween or some sort of time where it's very depressing and dark. <laughs> Rudy Basso, uh, what did you think of Plane Shift in Estrad? Uh, I think you undersold it. Ravenloft looks at this setting and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, we need to calm down. This is a little too dark and depressing. Um, man, what a miserable setting. But that's a lot of, uh, very appealing in a, in a lot of ways. It's still something in the beginning, like literally everything is a threat. <laughs> um, the rat walking down, like, you see a rat scurry across the street. Uh-oh, that could also be, like, a magic werewolf rat or whatever. <laughs> um, it's really cool that there is something like that. But there's also uh, this church element to it that Alex kind of touched on. Also very depressing. There was an archangel who was really good, and then he went crazy and killed everybody. So... Um, but the church has this specific hierarchy, and there's a lot of – I think there's a really great story arc there for a party if they want to be the good, like the light trying to combat the dark in this world, of which there is so very much. Like working for the church, doing missions, they have a hierarchy, moving up within the hierarchy of the church. I think there's a really cool uh, story there for, for a party and for a very creative DM and um yeah i like a lot of the creatures i like the creepy doll that one really stood out to me finally stats for the creepy doll <laughs> yeah i'm looking at that right now and I'm, i need to read something happy before i go to bed tonight. yeah great art too for the creepy doll um it's just neat and i think alex is right this might be a great you know a lot of people play ravenloft during Halloween, this, if you want to take it to the next step and do Ravenloft squared in terms of depression, I think this def- definitely fits the bill. It does. It does. You know, Rudy, I was going to ask you as a person considering running Curse of Strahd uh, at some point in the future, uh, do you think you would set it in, in a Strahd? No, I think it's too dark for what I'm going to do. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, and that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I think you you are correct. I did undersell it a little bit. I mean, Barovia is a pretty depressing place, but uh, this is like a you're lucky to live kind of place. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> You're 23? Whoa! <laughs> You're the oh. oldest person in industry. <laughs> and, uh, and nice call out on the creepy doll as well. Andrew Kane, what did you think of uh, Plane Shift in Estrade? Uh, which might not come as a surprise to anyone except for people who know my movie taste. Because if I saw a movie about this world, I wouldn't I wouldn't see it <laughs> because it is horrifying, especially the creepy dolls. So let's let's not go down that road. Um, I really thought it was interesting. I think like the darkness, the bleakness is really neat. Um, I immediately was as I was reading through stuff coming up. With characters, one of them being an inquisitor, an inquisitor recently infected himself with lycanthropy and uh, kind of struggling with that and how to move forward. But then he can sense all other werewolves. It's a fascinating thing. Anyway, um, I just thought it was really neat. Um, I have no familiarity with magic whatsoever. Uh, I never played it. I saw other people playing it, uh, but I know nothing about it. So this was really interesting to me. And I think it um, it shows the cool flexibility of D&D where you can take this concept, these rules and drop them into all these different places like in Estrad, like Ravenloft, like Forgotten Realms, like Eberron, whatever. And I love that. And tying it back to the movie piece, one, this would be a great world to set my seven themed uh, <laughs> D&D movie in. Uh, and two, just to make it a little more depressing. Um, when it comes to movies, again, the flexibility of D&D, like there isn't one set way to do it. There's a lot of different directions to go in. And I think it comes down to, you know, your willingness to want to explore all those different options. But I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. And yeah. yes, the creepy dolls forever haunting the dream. <laughs> Yeah, or the final picture of those like two little girls with like blood on their mouths. I didn't need that either. Uh, well, we definitely want to know what people out there think about the world of Innistrad and D and D. Are you going to set your game in it? Are you going to set your Ravenloft game in it? Let us know what you think. So head on over to Facebook.com/slash The Tome Show or TheTomeShow.com and leave us a comment. Uh, all right, guys, I think that is going to do it for this week's roundtable. But before we go, I want to know where can people find you on the Internet, Rudy Basso? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O. Look for us at Gen Con. Me and James will be there. Also, I have podcasts. I have uh, one on this very network called D&D V&G. It is a video game podcast about officially licensed Dungeons & Dragons video games. This month's game is... What's it called, Alex? Birthright, the Gorgon's Alliance. Thank you, Alex. Uh, so that'll be coming out in a few weeks. Keep an eye out. You guys have the been other... promising that to do a podcast on that game for like for six about months. six months. October, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But the game's been played... Side. It's been recorded. It'll be up soon. Yeah. Um, I also have a podcast called Have Spellbook Will Travel. It's a Ooh. radio play, comedy, podcast, music, and voice acting, and sound effects. It's written by me and James Intercasso. Please go check it out. Havespellbook.com is the website. Uh, give it a listen. I think listeners of this will really enjoy it. Yes, yeah, Half Spellbook Will Travel is super, super fun, uh, and uh, it is a labor of love, for sure. Mostly Rudy's love. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it is awesome. Uh, check it out, HalfSpellbook.com. Alex Basso, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on the, those two podcasts that Rudy mentioned. Uh, and, <laughs> and 
Yeah, so thank you for that, Rudy. Um, <laughs> and you can also find me on my Twitter at yo underscore Alex Basso. Uh, you'll find me tweeting about Pokemon Go. So I'm pretty much the same as every other Twitter at the moment. Ooh, gotcha. I called a Nito King today. Team yeah. Valor. Woo. Team Blue guys. Blue guys. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Kane, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cavalier Kane. That's K-A-V-A-L-I-E-R-K-A-N-E. I promise I'll tweet more, guys. Nice, nice. And Phil Collins, where can people find you? Yeah, I'm old. I don't do social. No, just kidding. Uh, I have DC board games. That's uh, the official Dragon Con board games uh, Twitter account, which has like a grand total of 42 tweets. So maybe I should go out and actually tweet some more. Gotcha. Uh, but mostly I'm in the dark recesses of the internet where you probably shouldn't venture in the first place. <laughs> oh, man. Look out. Don't follow any uh, Pokemon into there, Alex Basso. <laughs> hey, I got a uh, no promises. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, people, thank you so much for joining me today on the roundtable. Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you, James. Our pleasure. Okay, everybody, now I am here with the one and only David Silver. David, welcome to the roundtable. Hello. How are you doing today? Are, are you getting pumped up and excited? Uh, we should let the listeners know we're recording this before your Kickstarter actually drops, but the Kickstarter for 5th edition Pony Finder uh, is live now as you are listening to this. So go to Kickstarter and search for Pony Finder. It'll come up or... Head on over to thetomeshow.com and check out the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have a link live there for people to check out. So either way, check out, follow along with us as we're talking about this. But how are you? Are you excited? Are you pumped up? Oh, man. Every day is a good day for horse riding. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's dive right into it. You are a rather accomplished game designer, I would say. Uh, why don't you tell people out there who are unfamiliar with David Silver a few of the things that you've worked on? Okay, so my first project was with was by myself, actually. I created Pony for Pathfinder as a starter. I went to uh, Facebook with it, showed it to a bunch of people, sold that little tiny book... And they're like, we want more. I was like, well, how much do you want more? No, we, we definitely want more. Oh, well, are you willing to pay for it? And we went to a Kickstarter. And that was the first one to make the first official Pony Finder. That was also when I started dealing with Paisa, the people who actually make Pathfinder, which is what we're based on. Mm -hmm. Which is why we turned from Pony for Pathfinder to Pony Finder, because they didn't want to have Pathfinder in the name of the book that was against the walls. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That that totally makes sense under the OGL laws, right? Uh, so, so what yeah. is what is Pony Finder for people who maybe aren't familiar with it? Okay. So basically, is so it's like Dungeons and Dragons Pathfinder, adventuring with elves and dwarves and stuff. Except you know, not less elves and dwarves, more ponies and griffins and goats. <laughs> So you, as as the player, right, play yes. ponies, griffins, yes. goats. Yes. That's we, pretty We awesome. have other exotic races, don't worry, but <laughs> those are the basics. 
<laughs> nice, nice. So how did you come up with this idea? It's a super, super fun idea, by the way. Uh, I, I really dig it. And all of the art okay. is really fun. Your Kickstarter video, people should definitely check that out. Uh, it's it's Thank awesome. Um, so we got, we got Crown Prince to do that one. He's a very accomplished, oh, she is a very accomplished uh, animator. I'm very happy with her. I actually fed into the idea for Pointfinder before I played Pathfinder. Okay. I ran into the, what the internet made up as Pointfinder. And they did a manga page. There, it's still out there that has Appletack as the Earth Pony, uh, Twilight as the, as the Unicorn, and uh, Rainbow Dash as the Pegasus. Okay. And I saw that, and I was like, ha-ha, that's funny, and I moved along. Then I came back after playing Pathfinder for, for for a while, and I was like, you know, I would never allow these actual stats, these numbers, in my game. These, I don't like these numbers. Mm-hmm. I could do better than this. In fact, I will do better than this. So I <laughs> sat down, and over a weekend, I jammed out the basics of what would eventually become Pathfinder. So uh, how close to, you know, your traditional D&D Pathfinder sort of game is it? Like, do you pick a race and then a class, and then you sort of build out from there? Um, you well, know, so see, that's the thing. Our primary goal is to not change the game that we're based on, which means it is Pathfinder. You, If you know how to play Pathfinder, you already know how to play this game. We're just ha- we add new races, we add new features and bells and whistles and things, but it's still Pathfinder. And you could still use it with any other Pathfinder compatible products, right? So if you Which wanted to play, is a big deal for yeah, us. Yeah, definitely. You get to use your whole library if you've invested a exactly. lot into Pathfinder. I notice a lot of other um, pony RPGs, as they call them, mm-hmm. um, they make their own system. <laughs> and while power to them, I applaud their creative uh, drive. There, they want to make their own system that does everything their own way. It means that they're an island in a very large ocean, and that that is a dangerous place to be. I want to be part of the of the um, ecosystem. Right, that well, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it totally does, and it means that you know you are capitalizing on things that are already there. So let's say if I, as a dungeon master, want to run. Pony Finder, but I want to set it in, you know, Cobalt Press's Southlands campaign setting. I can do that. Part of the reason why we're doing a kick, uh, this Kickstarter right here, right now, we have Pathfinder fairly well covered. Although we're still putting out books, but still, there's still tons of people out there who don't play Pathfinder. Right, right. Yeah, there but are. But they do play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there are tons of people who play Dungeons and Dragons, which is why you're you want to bring this into fifth edition now. That's what this Kickstarter is all about: is taking the system you've already created and converting everything into five E. Exactly, the world stays the same. Mm-hmm. We're not redesigning the world. We like our world; it's a very nice world. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to revamp all of the books that we've done so far. Uh, I don't know how much of a peak you've had yet. But our stretch goals are almost entirely going through our library of printed books and translating them upwards into 5th edition. Sure. Yeah, you've already got the content. Why not uh, You know, start spending the time then converting everything, which is great. Um, exactly. We'll, we'll take that money. We'll put it towards new art. Of course, it'll help pay for my time because I'll be going through all of this stuff. Because there's plenty, plenty of room for things to do in fifth edition. As you're, uh, you know, as you're looking at converting Ponyfinder, what are some of the the challenges in translating from Pathfinder to fifth edition? 
Well, the biggest challenge is getting a good grasp of fifth edition, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm actually doing a game right now that we're doing a level every week just to kind of get a feel for how things flow and how they expect things to be. Because we want it to fit with everything else that is fifth edition. Obviously, they are so very close in a lot of ways, and they're so very far in some. Like, for instance, fifth edition doesn't encourage nearly as many magic items uh, per character, no. right? Right. No, sorry, you get three. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but Where it's. Did I a... find a fourth one? Well, find one to put down. Damn. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, are you having a are you having a blast as you're uh, playing through this fifth edition game? It's definitely interesting. Um, I'm definitely feeling the differences. The streamlining is good. We're still learning the ins and outs, the bumps. There's a lot of here. Here's the thing: when I was first learning Pathfinder, we had what I called 3.5 isms, mm -hmm. which are carryovers from D and D 3.5 that are wrong. <laughs> and you think that they're right, but they're wrong. <laughs> so that happens a lot. We're like, I will be running the game and I'll call for a check for something that doesn't exist in 5th edition. And everybody will be checking their sheets and I'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. What? That's Dang. not there? What do you mean 5th edition doesn't have that? Damn it. Right, right. Where's the bluff check? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so as we're as we're talking here, then let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter. You talked about the stretch goals. Obviously, you know you're going to convert more of the books that you have. But what are the initial offerings if this Kickstarter funds? Okay, the first basic thing, as in before we get to stretch goals, is the main book. Mm -hmm. That's that is the main course right there because that's what you need to get a game winning money going. Sure. Right now, here's the thing. If you go to Drive Through RPG, you can get a translation of the basic races. Mm -hmm. We have that available. Nice. For free? For no, no, <laughs> no. It, it, it's a dollar, and there's an expansion that's like a dollar and ninety nine cents. Oh my it's, gosh, it's that's amazing. Cheap. That's a great price. People should definitely, definitely check it out because that's a lot of work. Uh... I'm not paying him. <laughs> we have that, but there's so much more. Mm -hmm. that can be done like for one thing i would like to have class options uh specializations that are specific to this world mm -hmm. that not only could you use with ponies but you have a theory i mean if you want to make a human that does it I mean, we're not gonna stop you <laughs> <laughs> so so what kind of you know class specializations do you have in mind that would go along with this world of pony finder um, well, like, for wizards, I really think there should definitely be a unicorn specialization for wizards mm -hmm. and what they do and their crazy tricks. In fifth, in uh, Pathfinder, they get Unseen Servant and Light. It's a thing that they can just do whenever they feel like it, basically. Sure. Which is great for, like, for limited things. Or pretty limited things. Unseen Servant can't really shoot a sword for you. Sorry. As much as we might want that, it just doesn't work that way. You have to spend feats on making your magic better so that you can actually wield things in your mind and then hack things into little bits. Right. The trick is, is that 5th edition doesn't have feats the same way. 5th edition feats are very different. Um, if you even have any feats at all, which are not guaranteed, they're a very big deal. They're considered a cornerstone of the character. Uh, have you played 5th Edition? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge 5th Edition fan. It's, I play it every week. There you go. Then you know 5th Edition feats 
They're kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you take them in place of an ability bump, right? So it's got to exactly. be It's got to be so, worthy of that. <laughs> exactly. So they tend to scale and they tend to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whatever opponents they give will be good at level 1 and level 20. Right, right. Or else they're not worth taking. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. So I have to rethink a lot of things in mm -hmm. terms of how to make all of these Pathfinder feats that just aren't going to work. Sure. Well, and it might be, you know, a lot of times it seems like in 5th edition it's like a combination of several feats together, you know, so maybe it's oh, yeah. figuring out which ones work together and, and grouping those as a single feat for 5th edition. You know, like, um, one thing I'll probably do right now in Pathfinder, we have a whole chain working up to being a weather pony. If you want to be a weather pony, you got to put a lot of feats into it. But mm -hmm. by golly, you can be a really good weather pony. <laughs> You can sling lightning bolts and control the weather. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So in your world, then, what, like, uh, uh, talk to me a little bit about the world of Pony Finder in the sense that, like, if I wanted to create a barbarian pony, um, what would that you look like? That. Uh, are, are, <laughs> are we talking, are they anthropomorphized? Are they walking around and talking? Do they walk on two legs? Do they walk on four? You know, uh, They usually walk on four legs. They can walk on two, but they cannot use their hooves and hands because they're hooves, damn it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, and, and do they interact with humans in the world? Like, I notice in a lot of the art, they're wearing saddles and stuff. Is that just because saddles are cool looking? Because uh, they don't want to be naked? You know, or, or are there well, people they, that they can They wear run? clothes. They, they can wear full-on clothes. Uh, you know, size for a pony, of course. Sure. Um, they do have saddles for riding, but that comes up less often than saddles that hold things. Usually gotcha. lances for poking people. Got it. Got it. So the saddles <laughs> can act as hands then. Basically, yes. Yeah. If they just rig something to their side and then there you go. There is a thing. It's holding it there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Life gotcha. is good. The <laughs> world is called Everglow. Mm -hmm. And it has, it, it's, it's become more expensive over time. But to the east, we have the humanoids, at least most of the humanoids. We have the orcs. We have the humans. We got gnomes and halflings. To the west, over the ocean, we have the elves. Underground, we got the dwarves, because, of course, they're underground. That's just where dwarves like to hang out. Of course. Yeah, where else would they be? <laughs> and right in the center, ponies. Gotcha, gotcha. So they are interacting with um, some other fantasy races and things like yes. that, you might say. Gotcha. All right, I expect you to use all your pathfinding material here, so it would be kind of weird to make a world that just doesn't have them at all. Right, right. Well, so talk to me then a little bit. How do, how do the goats and the griffins factor into this picture then? Okay, the goats live up north in the mountains. Guess who also lives up in the mountains? Some the griffins. Uh -huh. The griffins ran into the goats first. In fact, they met by a griffin landing, swooping down and picking up a goat with its talons and going, oh boy, dinner. And the goat's like, please don't eat me. <laughs> the griffin got very confused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And that's how they met. <laughs> The goats are extremely polite. Think of literally the Canadians of this world. Okay. Uh, my apologies to any Canadians out there. I hope they can forgive me. <laughs> but they are extremely polite. Nobody has a problem with the goats because they are cool. 
sure. Okay, that makes sense. They, I got no problem with goats in real life. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they, they usually don't scream though in, in our world. But hey, you know I should really make that a feed. <laughs> <laughs> Just like. So let's walk through the Kickstarter uh, a little bit. Let's talk about yes. like, um, you know, you have many, many levels here for people to contribute. It looks like you've got something yeah. for every wallet size. Uh, Pretty much. So I, we don't need to go through every single level since there's so many of them. But why don't you well, give me not, the, no. the kind of highlights and the minimum buy, buy-in and that kind of thing? Okay. So at the very least, $10 gets you the PDF of the new book. Done. Nice. Uh, that, of course, assumes that you act quickly. Dun, dun, dun. If you don't <laughs> act quickly, then it's $15. It's, well, that's uh, good. I mean, well, $15 is still great. $15 is very reasonable, yes. Mm-hmm. Liz, I like to think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah for a campaign setting, there, come on. Come on. Going on from there, we have at $20 or $25 the physical copy of the book. Now, that will be hardcover. $25 for a hardcover is not bad. Okay. At least I don't think so. No, I think that's amazing <laughs> for a uh, $25 hardcover. Uh, so, and, you know, for a campaign setting, that's unheard of, I almost want to say, for a hardcover campaign setting. So I think that's awesome. Well, that's what Kickstarters are great for. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just five more bucks. Five more bucks. And not only do you get the book, but you also get to take part in some polls after the Kickstarter is over to decide what sort of stuff shows up in the book. Mm-hmm. So that's not so much. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, moving up from there, we you want some minis? For, for 50 bucks, you get the physical book and both of our official Pony Finder figures, which is the Persian, which is like a house cat with wings, except this one is wearing a very Indiana Jones cap on his head. <laughs> Because that's a thing. And you get a... Yeah, see, it's a funny thing. Griffins, if you go to a store and you look for a Griffin Mini, you'll usually find them kind of large because they're designed to be the monster. So I was like, you know, we should make a Griffin that's actually the size of everybody else. Right. Griffins are the size of everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> this makes sense. Moving on to more interesting, interesting things... Uh, $100 or more, you get a character added to the book. At $200, not only do you get a character added to the book, they also get a picture. Point. Also, at $200, you could uh, get the Magic Pony tier, which is basically suggesting a spell, and we'll make it happen one way or the other. Oh, cool. That's really cool. So they just say, here's a spell, here's what I wanted to do, and then you guys figure out the mechanics. That's, that's actually a large part of how our world came to be. Like, <laughs> Persians was a tier that somebody got. Um, when we were doing the first book, we had a tier where basically you could just make up a race. Any race, I don't care. I will figure it out. Mm-hmm. And somebody, they said, I want a house cat with wings. And I was like, house cat with wings. I can, I can do this. I can. And I made the Persians. And, you know, the more I write about them, the more I love them. <laughs> so I totally love them. They are... Anyway, moving <laughs> along. You want a new class specialization? We have a tier for that. Don't worry. Okay. You want to get a set of books for your for your entire table? Yeah, we, we got that covered. You're all good. Well, in fact, at the that's at the 500 tier level. At mm-hmm. that one, you can have your entire group show up in the book 
<laughs> yes. Now we're talking. But wait, l- let's just skip to this pie in the sky. Somebody who, ha- who has all the money but wants something good for it. Mm-hmm. At two thousand dollars, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We'll make an adventure. You decide. You being the basic idea for the adventure, we will flush it out. We will do up that adventure. Nice. We'll make that. A, that that will be a published adventure with your name in it. And obviously, you get the copy of the adventure. That's really cool. That's awesome. And plus, you get minis and books and a Griffin plushie and all kinds of other great stuff. So, um, yeah. See, I was just focusing on the main thing, but yes, <laughs> the the prizes don't stop. <laughs> uh, to make it more interesting, the that adventure will be both Five E and Pathfinder. Cool. Cool. So that's great because if you're, you know, interested in Pathfinder and you've always wanted a uh, a Pony Finder adventure that you've had in your head and uh, you've got $2,000 lying around, come contribute to this Kickstarter because you also get it in Pathfinder. So that's awesome. Um, hey, in case you, you were thinking that's a lot of money, I mean, that's a lot of art and writing and uh, stuff. You would not believe how much stuff goes into making a book. <laughs> I I definitely know. So and and this is great. You know the the Kickstarter. Um, you know you have a a very low barrier to entry, and if people want to pay more, they get more for it. Um, this is really really awesome. Uh, so I'm super super excited for you uh, as you launch this. Uh, like I said, I love fifth edition, so I'm always happy to see new campaign settings, especially innovative, interesting campaign settings like this one coming out for fifth edition. Uh, it's there- right. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Pony Finder, David? Mm, specifically, Pony Finder. Well, to be perfectly honest, a big thank you to the OGL, <laughs> but in all of its various forms, because they're kind of what allowed us to exist in the first place. Yeah, we have been very happy to release all of our stuff on the OGL. So, if some other enterprising person wants to make up a, a, a their own campaign system, they're entitled to do so. And we look forward to seeing that. I hope the people listening today will come on over to our Kickstarter and see what we have to offer. And hopefully they will leave with a few dollars less, but richer in ponies. And as we know, ponies are worth a few dollars. Yes. Yes, they are. Be rich in ponies. Uh, so, and, <laughs> and it sounds like rich in really great story and a really, really imaginative world. I mean, I have my ongoing uh, Patreon going. Okay. People should check that out. We'll link it. There you go. If you basically just look for Pony Finder, I'm right there. <laughs> and I'm constantly working on more Pony Finder stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, once we get the five, once the Kickstarter ends, then I'll be trying to get future products to be both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they have some 5E stuff and some Pathfinder stuff. And of course, the fluff stuff works either way. Right, right, of course. Because the world is the world, so... Yeah, yeah, and that's where you can draw your inspiration to get some kick butt games from. So that's exactly. really, really awesome. Nice, nice. And if people want to find you on the internet uh, over Twitter or Facebook or wherever, uh, where should they go? Uh, you can look up Pony Finder on Facebook. You can also look up Server Games LLC on Twitter. Awesome, awesome. Well, you find us. Yeah, yeah, come find them. Uh, David is a great dude. Uh, And David, thank you for joining me today on the roundtable. Thank you for having me. You have a terrific day.
And before we go, each week we highlight a new product in our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's highlighted product comes from Scott Fitzgerald Gray. It's called The Emporium of Uncanny Magic Lost Potions. The 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide features a whole host of cool magic items for D&D, including many classic items updated from previous editions of the game. Given the sheer number of magic items unleashed on unsuspecting players over the last 40 years, it was inevitable that the Dungeon Master's Guide needed to leave a whole bunch of stuff out. Lost Potions is the first in a series of short supplements dedicated to adapting and updating the hundreds of magic items that have been a core part of previous editions of D&D. This presents 27 new potions from previous editions of the game updated and revised for 5th edition. It is 99 cents. That is a steal. You can get the Emporium of Uncanny Magic Lost Potions over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank my panelists for this episode, Andrew Kane, Rudy Basso, Alex Basso, and Phil Collins. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, my Emmy-nominated blog, which you should go vote for right now at any-awards.com. It's called World Builder Blog, and it's at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there, as well as information about Exploration Age, the 5th edition world that I'm building. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable. <laughs>